Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. We are now one week away from the Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual on December 6th through 8th, 2022. The full agenda is now up on the conference website. That includes all the panels, as well as all the investors that will be pitching stocks during the Microcap Investing Workshop of the Stock Pitch World Cup. We have 49 companies sharing their presentations and are available for one-on-one meetings as well. There's still time to register, so don't miss out. Join us for the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on December 6th through 8th, 2022. To register, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap Showcase, I spoke with Nat Stewart, full-time private investor, founder of NAS Capital, and editor of the Nat Stewart Stock Picking Newsletter on Substack. At the time of the recording, only a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like there was a never-ending stream of bad news in finance. So Nat and I wanted to share with you a good old-fashioned microcap conversation. Tune out all the noise by joining Nat and I talking about our mutual love of microcap stocks, as well as his investing philosophy with an idea that demonstrates his strategy in action. For me, the best advice Nat gave here was how he uses his stock watch list. We talk about it all the time on the pod, and almost everyone we talk to uses one, but Nat clearly outlines a simple, useful way that he leverages his watch list. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 251 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Nat Stewart. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Nat, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? 
Awesome. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you on. I figured today, you know, we're going to block out all the noise, everything else that's going on in the world. Let's just have a good old fashioned microcap conversation. That sound good to you? That's let's do it. All right, perfect. Well, you know, Nat, I've been following you a while on Twitter, and you know, I I, I really appreciate everything that you put out there and you sharing your ideas, you know, via your newsletter as well as also on on your Twitter account. You know, but before we get into all that, you know, we're we're going to build up to it. So let's let's get let's get your background. You know, when did your passion for microcaps begin? Well, you know, I. Like a lot of people, uh, when I was kind of a younger guy in my uh, late teens and 20s, I got into my first interest was honestly the kind of speculative stocks at that time. Um, I read, you know, like many people, you kind of get the bug for trading and investing. Um, In fact, uh, the first one of the early things I was really interested in was futures trading. And uh, surprisingly, I actually did pretty well with that with that. And I probably did a lot of futures trading for about maybe 10, 11 years. And uh, I actually was considering starting up a commodity trading advisor um, maybe around 10 years ago um, because I'd done pretty well and I thought my record looked pretty good. Um, And, you know, I'd worked uh, simultaneously, you know, a series of kind of analytical jobs, not stock picking type jobs, but kind of typical financial jobs. Um, it's funny because what, what happened was, is I got interested in micro caps and small caps in a way by accident. And I think, uh, I, I wish I could remember what triggered it. I recently tried to, but I, I really couldn't, but basically, um, I got into a few companies, maybe it was, uh, some stuff I read on Seeking Alpha, you know, I don't remember, but I started following some companies pretty closely and I kind of started geeking out on um, reading SEC filings and trying to figure stuff out myself. And I suddenly, I really started to believe that um, I could find information on companies people weren't talking about that was published in SEC filings that um, it simply was not reflected in the stock price. So I kind of, whatever got me interested, I kind of looked in there, um, you know, and I felt like I was seeing you know, oftentimes in the text of a press release, I'd say, hey, and guess what? We have this new facility open, or guess what? We're doing all this new stuff. Stock price doesn't move, you know, or, or guess what? We're about to do a dividend for 40% of the share price. Whoa, stock price didn't even move. So however I got into it, I don't remember, but probably the first thing is I just started really being interested in the fact that um, with small companies, you could really, I feel, get an advantage in terms of what your understanding is that's really just better than the market price. Now that's not always true. And, you know, sometimes you think you have the advantage and you don't, but on average, I basically, it just kind of took over my interest level. And the time I was kind of concocting technical strategies with um, futures trading, it just got put on the back burner. And honestly, I felt the advantage I had researching stocks was just greater. And also I liked it more. I got into the um, personality side of small caps. Like I think um, maybe, maybe you're a small cap guy. You know, there's a lot of neat, really creative CEOs and, and other people that um, they're just fascinating people a lot of times. And um, so that that human element really kind of got me interested too. Very cool. All right. Well, I mean, 
Let, let's dig into some of your strategy and your philosophy then. You know, as sure. as you said, you got hooked in. You didn't leave. Yeah. You said, screw this other thing that I'm doing. You know, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it's still, you know, in the back burner, right? At some point. I right? thought about <laughs> reopening a features account now because with all the macro instability, I think uh, there's tremendous yeah. opportunities, but I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, all right. Yeah. So my strategy, um, the way I approach things is, and, and I'm going to just talk about the micro cap stuff. And, and for me, that's maybe a little bit bigger than some people in your audience. Like I, I think for me, it's like under 500 million. Really my sweet spot is probably a hundred million to 500 million. I will venture below that in certain cases, but I've just found that range I tend to do best in. Um, you often get stocks that are very under the radar, but they're already established businesses and you can really assess them on their track record, which isn't always true for really small stuff. So basically um my way of thinking about things is pretty basic. Like I'm looking for um, decent businesses that have something, the core economics of the business is decent or good. Um, so, you know, one way I do this is I go back and look over financial statements over a long sequence of time, say five plus years, and just look at the progression of what's going on. So you look at your operating income, you look at, cash flow, you look at what they're doing with cash. Um, if it's not yet a profitable business, which sometimes I will look at, I look at the gross margins on their product. You know, are they going to be able to build sales? Um, so I'm looking at my assessment of the quality of the business, how it can generate cash. If it's not really profitable yet, what is required to generate cash? So that gives me just kind of a view of the business. Um, the real thing I'm looking for is... Um, things that are going through a process of change. Okay. So I like companies where, um, you know, you see a certain potential, but maybe a new CEO or a new product or something is going to help them get to a bigger stage. Now I kind of jumped ahead a little bit because when I'm researching, when I'm researching new names, I'm not necessarily looking to uh, like say, this is a stock I'm going to buy tomorrow or, or next week. I'm actually looking to add stocks to my watch list. And I know a lot of people do this, but for me, my watch list is really, really key. Like everything is about my watch list. So basically I have a list of a hundred plus stocks. I know really well, probably better than most anybody. And I simply follow these and compare them to my portfolio. And I try to manage what goes in and what goes out based on what's most, most uh, advantageous. So I, I hold some stocks for a long period of time, but I'm also thinking about opportunity cost a lot. And, and let me tell you, um, using a watch list versus just kind of sporadically looking for new ideas to invest in tomorrow, to me, is a really good approach. And what it does is it allows you to set up ideas that might take years to develop. Like I could have something on my watch list. I kind of know what's going on. I wait for the right time. And I think my investment at that point has a very big advantage. If I'd simply thought, do I need to buy it two years ago? Well, maybe that was a good time to buy. Maybe I was kind of rushing things. So um, a lot of my research is setting up future opportunities. Like, so when I actually buy or trade, hopefully, and not always true, but in the best cases, like I think I've set up a really good pitch. Like it's, 
maybe some news comes out, maybe the company's divesting a division. Well, I've already worked out like what that means. I'm like ready to buy when other people are hopefully like not fully aware. <laughs> For sure. So now, I mean, my one follow-up to, to that strategy, because I think that's a great idea is how you, everybody should have a watch list. Like I, yeah. I, 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 on every one of our websites, I, that's always my favorite feature is, you know, if you register yeah. an account, you have to have a watch list. Yep. Um, how often do you cross check it with for watch list to portfolio or do you only cross check it once, you know, you set up, I'm sure you set up Google alerts for every time, you know, a company has a news release or something like that. Yeah. I think there are different ways to do this and I don't want to claim my way is best, but actually what I have is in my quote screens. I have hundreds, I have multiple tabs. And I can, like, you know, I use interactive brokers, so I have multiple, I, I use the old fashioned layout. Like I don't use, I don't know, do you use interactive brokers or, so basically it's just a giant quote screen screen. And so I have tabs of quote screens. So basically in the morning or when I'm checking stocks, honestly, you can keep informed with a lot of stocks just by flicking through their, their quotes, like if it's moving that day, check the news. And, and of course, I do the Google alerts and other stuff like this. You know, when earnings come out, I'll do a check-in. But honestly, a lot of stocks are really pretty far on the back burner. Um, and usually when, you know, you're alerted to some things going on, I kind of exaggerate saying, like, I suddenly make a decision. But, you know, you, you have some time to see, like, okay, this happened. Um, so, honestly, I do probably use some, some kind of tape, like, you know, I, I'm not one of those value investors who says I'm like in a room with a, a bunch of books. Like I'm checking quotes every single day, um, seeing where things are trading. Um, and and sometimes stocks being at a certain tr- price level will have me saying, okay, let's dig in and see what's going on here. Like if a stock gets hit, if a stock I really like is getting hit, I'm be like, well, that business is pretty good to be trading that way. What's What's really going on? Ideally, what you find is it's some short-term factor or something that's misunderstood. Um, and then you think, well, this is a really compelling buy right now. So um, there, there are many ways things can set up. It, it could be news alerts. It could be simply the price is way down. You know? Sure. No, absolutely. So you also mentioned that you know at the very beginning when you talked about your strategy and what you're looking for, at the end of the day, you're looking for a decent business. So, you know, for, in your opinion, how do you define a decent business? You know, I, this is, uh, this is a kind of a cl- cliched comment and I'm aware of that, but it <laughs> still holds up. So it doesn't matter. Is that really um, the most influential, influential thing I've read about the kind of businesses I like is Warren Buffett's essays about seized candy. Most people who are interested in value investors are familiar with that story. And, you know, if some of your listeners aren't, that's a really good one to kind of understand what makes a really good business. Um, Basically a really good business gets a decent or above decent return on capital and can return a lot of capital to investors. And it has, uh, you know, the return on capital is exceeding its kind of need for capital over a prolonged period of time. So, you know, Warren Buffett bought C's Candy. I don't remember, but for not much money in the 70s. And since that time, it's paid him like a billion dollars in dividends, right? So that's like an exceptional business. Another one um, perhaps we'll talk a bit about is if you look at um, the uh, uh, CEO's letter 
in Nathan's Famous, we go back and read the last three or four. He has some statistics in there about how much dividends that company's paid versus its market cap 20 years ago. It's paid wildly more dividends than its initial market cap 20 years ago. So that's a really exceptional business. Now, there are good businesses that are not quite that good or don't have those properties. There are other factors to consider, like um, growth. You could have a more capital-intensive business that has a real long runway to deploy capital at a decent rate of return. That can be a great business, too. So not everything fits um, a fixed template, but essentially you want a good return on capital, um, some stability uh, in earnings, and um, you know that's pretty much what I look for. There, there are different kinds of businesses that don't fit that, but that's kind of my my perfect business. Absolutely. There's two rabbit holes I'm going to go down there. Actually, sure. you know, I think I'm going to start with, you know, uh, using Nathan's as an example of, in your opinion, sure. a decent business uh, for full disclosure, are you a shareholder? Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. So tell me about it. You know, let, let tell me about why, why for you, this is a decent business, you know, going beyond, you know, the, some of the, the CEO letters and, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Sure. Well, it it's, I'll talk about the business in general, but also kind of why I added to my position a lot this year. Um, basically, it's it it is a seize candy type business. I mean, it has tremendous returns on capital. Um, the majority of their business, the thing is, is it's considered with by the um, financial uh, data providers and so forth. It's called a restaurant. It's really not a restaurant. It's really a one of the best consumer brands in the packaged meat space. Um, it's not uniform. So in some parts of the country, the brand is really strong. Others, it's less strong. But like in the Northeast, the brand is very strong. So the way the business is structured is they have three operating segments. They have restaurants, which is most of the profits come from a small franchise network, which is obviously a, a capital asset like business. They have some really core owned restaurants, which is like their, um, what is it, Brighton Beach, famous beachfront location, you know, iconic. And it's uh, where I've had and, it. Yep. Yeah. And then they have a food service business, which sells hot dogs to uh, ballparks. Now, that business, many people don't know, that's an asset like business. They don't ever touch a hot dog. I mean, the, 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 the producer of the hot dog is distributing them. They're really, managing the brand and selling it's like as you know they're selling and getting uh you know there's hot dogs placed so that's a very SLA business and then um the real part of the business that's really done extremely well is their grocery licensing business and that structured is just a top line royalty on revenue um i believe uh i should know this but i believe the royalty rate is a little over 10 percent of top line revenue so that's a tremendously advantageous structure um, because, uh, you know, they're essentially renting their brand and getting 10% of revenue on that. Um, the, that licensing agreement is till uh, 2032, I believe. But the key thing is, is Nathan's owns the brand. So um, it, it's a very good structure. And, and the amount of capital they deploy in the business is is very limited. I mean, they have physical restaurants of four. That's a low, very low part, um, very low part of their values, those physical restaurants. And then, you know, they have some leased office space, but um, it's just an extremely profitable, stable business. And um, 
they do other stuff to maintain the brand. Like, you know, they do their famous hot dog contests and they do a number of other things. I think um, as an independent business, it really works well together because those marquee stores and the contests and all that, that kind of maintains the brand integrity, but they're really monetizing it at this national level through grocery stores and food service. So um, that's kind of a, maybe a, a wordy answer or, but essentially it's, it just generates a tremendous amount of cash and, and it's almost all their, all their after tax cash flow was right to investors. So for sure. Uh, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. A cu- couple follow-ups on this, because, you know, I just took a quick look at some of the, the statistics yeah. and, and share structure and, um, sure. but also thinking about the growth up for the company, yeah. you know, cause it's been, I mean, if you look at the one year chart or five relatively flat, right. You know, yeah. Yeah, sure. And it's been paying a dividend that whole time. Yeah, I'll talk about that. Yeah, it does. Um, They've done it. It has a little bit of a different management style. I mean, it has a. It's not management. I'd say some of their some of their decisions are a little bit more like what a private equity firm would do, not what a public company would do. Um, So they've um, done a series of special dividends where essentially it's kind of a levered recapitalization where they took on debt and just took all the money and and passed it back to shareholders. Um, That really confused people. Um, They did that. The first one they did was really big back in 2015. Um, That's actually when I first bought. And you can can probably go back and find my article. That that was a really well-timed article. The stock had been careening down, and I timed that one really well. But uh, basically... They did get hit by COVID in a sense, but it was mostly the top line. So, for example, if you think about their restaurant business, it wasn't like a huge part of their business. But, yeah, it did go from a profit to loss. You really couldn't make money in restaurants during COVID. Um, They also have food service like ballparks. You know, I believe ballparks stayed profitable, but certainly the top line was decimated for a while. And, um, you know, the profitability was hit. Um, Both those things have taken a while to bounce back. Now, on the other hand, the food service business, uh, as uh, um, you know, when I talked to the company a couple of years ago, he said, uh, you know, of course, this was after the quarter and completely proper. He said, um, well, look at, you know, you see the food, uh, the, the grocery business completely hedged the other stuff like it did tremendously well during COVID. So the funny part is, is their cash flow was really minimally impacted by COVID. Their top line sales took a big hit, but their most profitable segment and the grocery business is pure profit. I mean, it's, uh, you know, so so anybody who looks at the financials, just compare what happened to the top line versus their, um, you know, pre, pre, pre uh, you know, operating cash flow. And you'll see as well, wow, that's pretty good. They're only down 9% in the worst period of COVID for cash flow. Um, so it's taken a little while to rebound from that. And part of what made it an interesting uh, situation this year, okay, was that um, I think it, it was driven down this year because it was kicked out of the rest of 2000. Now, the way that happens these days is different than in the past. Um, the index funds are much more sophisticated at trading. And I also think you have a lot of, uh, you know, people anticipating. Um, they, they set up the trade months ahead of time. So this year, the decline, as, as it looked like it was going to be kicked out of the index, partly due to, you know, some of the confusion around it's, how it was impacted by COVID. That's my belief. Um, the stock had a pretty big decline. And that's really when I got interested in it again. And um, 
if, if, if you just think about it from a value perspective, like you're buying an extremely good business for, um, I, I think a valuation multiple here that is reasonable that um, I think mo- uh, your listeners are probably familiar with is kind of like the enterprise value to EBITDA, you know? So that was a very low multiple at that low point. And actually today, um, by my assessment, it's trading still far below private market value and uh, as well as uh, just kind of businesses of similar quality in the public market. So um, I think what's going to happen and why it's still a good setup right now is simply because it's now climbed back up enough. It's, you know, knock on wood, almost certainly going to be at, re-added to the Russell 2000 next year. Now, you know, that's just my prediction, but the way the market cap looks right now, it's almost certain because it's outperformed the Russell since that time and it's uh, up quite a bit. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a large amount of stock that's going to buy. Now, I don't think it's going to all buy when the index, um, you know, technically changes. It's going to anticipate it, which is um, at least to me, that's what I've found has occurred in recent years. So it, it kind of like it got knocked off the radar and now it has a path to get back on the radar. Um, and at the same time, you're buying a great business. Like would I buy this business, if uh, the full business, if I could at this valuation, yeah, be awesome. Like you just be rolling in cash flow. And so it's a public business, same deal. Like I can't buy the whole thing, but yeah, I want to buy that. It's got, it's, it looks good. <laughs> For sure. So, you know, this is something I wanted to talk about that I don't really think we've talked about too much on the pod. And that's, you know, when you find, and we just had a company on, on uh, due diligence that has a very similar share structure, you know, low flow, you know, high percentage held by insiders, um, sure. you know, and, and it's talking about that position sizing and how to build, building a full position when there's just not a lot of, you know, supply out there, you know, mm-hmm. so what, what is your strategy when you come across an opportunity like a Nathan's or maybe something else out there that has this type of share structure and building yeah. that position a little and, then, tough and, then maybe, and then maybe ultimately selling it, you know, cause you got it, you got to yeah. liquidate it. Some point. Well, yeah. Well, I think uh, the way I do it is I think about, I don't really think about it like an on and off switch. Like I'm not saying um, even though I don't manage a ton of money, I still buy a pretty decent amount of shares cause I buy, I usually own only own about 10 stocks at a time, 10 or 11. So I own a pretty decent amount of shares of some of these small companies. So I don't do it like an on and off switch. Um, the, the way to go about it is this is kind of where the watch list comes in. But kind of my, my trading philosophy is um, you trade when you can, not when you have to. And the more you do that, the more you can create an advantage by buying at good prices. Um, so in most cases, you can be patient, right? Um, for example, not kind of moving a little bit away from Nathan's here, but, um, you know, for example, towards this end of year period, it's a great time to look for beaten down stocks, um, small caps, micro caps. Why? Because a lot of fund managers and, and even individuals, they are sick to death of looking at these stocks that are down. Well, you know, it's already occurring. It's it's goes on the final three months, but you'll find some really good values and you can simply see that there's volume there to trade. So that's when you can take on a really big position. Now, if a stock has already run a bit and you try to buy and it's just hard and you don't want to be the guy pushing it up, um, a lot of times you can just sit back and be a little bit patient. You don't really need to chase. Now, if you're a, if you're just an individual trader, 
you can be a little less sensitive to that. So what um, you can maybe go in and just buy a couple hundred shares and, you know, accept the fact maybe it's going to bobble around a bit before the investment is proven or disproven. But uh, if you're buying a decent amount of shares, um, this is why the watch list is important because actually it's often better to let the stock come to you. Um, a, a great example, and this is admittedly just kind of luck on my part, um, another micro cap, or I guess you'd call it a small cap that's under the radar, um, computer services this year. Um, this is another stock I've watched for a long time, a super high quality business that trades over the counter, which they shouldn't have, but they did. Um, it had been really badly beaten down. I think people were worried about near-term performance. I noticed that there's just a tremendous amount of volume trading relative to the normal. So I wanted it to be a little cheaper, but I thought to myself, you know what? Yeah, it might not get cheaper and I can actually buy a lot right here. So I went in over series days, got a pretty big position. Um, purely by luck, they suddenly get acquired for a 50 plus percent premium. So like it, I finished buying and all of a sudden the next day they get acquired. That was purely luck, but it tends to be um, that if you wait for opportunities and companies you understand well, you tend to get lucky more than you think. That's kind of one of my philosophies. No, for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially... It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the other guy knew more than you did, you know? <laughs> no. <I'm, laughs> I, there's been quite a few people come on here, you know, it's, uh, especially on, if they're on the more, you know, longer term signs. Like, hey, you know, look, I I wait five years to get lucky. That's not, in, in, many, in many respects. Even though they do the work, you know, it's a good business, but, you know, you don't really see the fruits of that for a good long while, usually. This this is why um, having a watch list is good because you can have, you're not just waiting for one pitch, you're waiting for a hundred. Now that takes time to develop. Like if you have new list, some of your listeners want to get into micro cap stocks, I'd say just uh, take your time, like, you know, have some fun, get into the kind of companies that interest you. And uh, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of what keeps me interested is simply that I enjoy doing this stuff. Like I'm sure I want to make money, but, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, a lot of it is driven just by what my interest is and, and, you know, what I like to spend my time on. And I think any good micro cap investor is going to be the same way. Cause if you're not into this stuff, like your, your eyes are going to glaze over. <laughs> For sure. Cause look, not every pitch is going to be as simple as, and, and, and and Nathan's is an example of a relatively simple pitch in microcap. It is. Let's be let's be real, right? I mean, and I will say the thing about it right now is that it is up a bit, but it's still trading at nine times my estimate of uh, fiscal year two thousand twenty three enterprise value to EBITDA, which is very low. Um, they could easily double their dividend right now, and um, it, it's it's still very cheap now. I partly think it's it's interesting because I think there's going to be a whole lot of demand for the stock in, in 2023 because uh, you knock on wood, there's probably going to be hundreds of thousands of shares purchased by all the index funds when they get back in. That's a, that's a cyclical pattern I've used many times where a stock gets nicked, uh, knocked out of an index one year, gets beaten to hell. Well, guess what? Thing, the business turns around, things are good. Well, they, they're going to buy it back next year. So weird little things like that you can look for. And I'm not saying they always work, but to me, it's like there is an advantage. For so. sure. You know, I, one of the other rabbit holes that um, 
And by the way, real quick, before I get into that, by simple pitch, I meant, you know, it's Nathan's a simple, simple understory yeah, to stand versus I would other micro caps that, you know, or, you know, sometimes you're talking about the nuts and bolts and stuff, you know, I it, would actually say if, so. if you want, if you're kind of, if some of the people are just wanting to learn about businesses or learning to look at micro caps, if you have any re- listeners like that, Nathan's is a great business to kind of look at because it's pretty simple and it's also a great business. It's hot it's Joey Chestnut, man. Um, <laughs> so, you know, one one of the other rabbit holes I wanted to go down, because, you know, when you were talking about how um, on the other side of the coin, you know, um, when you when you were really mentioning what for you is a decent business and then also thinking about, well, what's what does that other side kind of look like? You know, it, I was looking at your Twitter and, and this one came up that I think you just posted this yesterday. Yeah, today's the uh, November 8th. You posted on the 7th that it's OK to be a value investor without hating on speculative business models and the folks who believe in them. Want to gamble on long shots? Great. Not my problem. And I thought that was really fascinating um, uh, tweet because, you know, you can especially in microcaps. There's so many speculative business models. There's a, there's a lot of innovation. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, maybe people doing some scrupulous things, of course. You know, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of folks that are have the best intentions trying to create something new, trying to make the world better, trying to make things a little bit more efficient. And, you know, that might just not be your bag. And it's not my place or anyone's no, place to handle I, I don't mind. I, I do do some speculative stocks. I don't actually talk about those ones much. Um, but I, I, this is one area where uh, I don't really like to throw stones at, at people. Everybody is entitled to their opinion on this stuff. But uh, I'm I'm much more pro speculation in general than the average uh, value investor fall on Twitter's wise because I think there is a role for believing in people's dreams, even if even if in general that kind of dream doesn't pan out all the time, or even a most of the time, you know, it's really not a bad thing. And there's a whole method of assessing and investing in more speculative stocks that's completely legitimate. Um, it's not most of what I do, but sure, do I like to try to, you know, hit a home run stock that could go up thousands of percent? Uh, yeah, I'll look for those too. I just size the position differently. I mean, do, um, do you have an example or, you know, an anecdote or something that kind of demonstrates um, how you look at things that are more speculative, if you can or should? Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably the smallest stock I'm investing in right now is I don't even consider it that speculative, but it, we might talk about that one. But to, just to kind of tell you how I the really speculative stuff I'll look at, um, probably the most important thing is, is you have to um, first determine if it's really legitimate. <laughs> like there are some speculative stocks where, the absolute worst microcaps are ones where if you're looking for it, you determine pretty clearly it's kind of a scheme to keep insiders employed with a good livelihood. Like there are some microcaps that have been telling the exact same story for 20 years. They still don't have revenue. Every year they're selling stock. Maybe they'll get there. Maybe they won't. But it's like, man, at some point you just got to pull the plug on that, you know, or or you sell the technology to a bigger company that can actually bring it to market effectively. You know, that's how a lot of these could end. So I don't want to say those are really schemes, but truly when you analyze some of these, you're like, well, geez, this this is so tough because um, you're not investing a lot in the technology. You're not in that, like, where's the money going? So Look, you know, analyze the the technology. Try to find it if it's if it's technology, whatever it is. Try to determine that the underlying thing is basically legit. Try to determine if the company has a legit 
ability to bring it to market. The problem with a lot of small caps that never work, including ones I've lost money in, is that they might have a great technology, a great product. They don't have a mechanism to effectively bring it to market. And that kills a lot of neat technologies. Now, this is where speculation can be good because sometimes uh, some investors buy into the dream, the stock goes up, they issue some equity and maybe they can invest in getting distribution or, or bringing it to market or the marketing stuff. Um, so, you know, it, it can work out. Um, I would say, look at where the money's going, make sure it's not all winding up in the insider's pockets, you know, <laughs> and uh, try to assess the go-to-market strategy, you know, assess the products viability, assess if they can bring it to market effectively. Um, I have one, probably my largest losing stock. I think, uh, uh, the stock I haven't, I sold a lot of it earlier this year, but I'm down quite a bit on it right now. Um, I'm not worried about it because it was always a small position. That's another thing. Don't, don't, I strongly, if you're, especially if you're a beginner or, or just a couple years into this stuff, just take small positions and don't sweat. If if you're going to get thousands of percent return, like you hope you're going to do well, you know? So, um, in this case, they're having a hard time bringing the, the technology to market, right? And they've recently revamped their sales strategy, hired some more people, you know, so I'm hanging on with my last share saying, well, you know what, this could actually be a tremendous turning point. I just don't know yet. So, yeah, that's one of the hardest things to determine when you're looking at some of these smaller uh, micro caps is especially if they're, if they're saying, okay, our go-to-market strategy, here we go. We're starting to sell and out and it's interesting because, you know, most of the time the store, the companies try, you know, they're, they're going to do their best to tell, you know, the best possible version of what's happening right now, even if yeah. it's not going well. Yep. It's, it, it's, it's tough. It, I mean, that's where talking to management really comes in because you can get it kind of a flavor of like, all right, what's, what's actually happening here. You know, even if they're, even if they might be very good, you know, front facing, you know, kind of CEO, you usually can get a pretty good tell if the sales or the strategy that they're using isn't really working. Yeah. And and sometimes you can determine, you know, that somebody's primarily a promoter, you know, and sometimes they're really just a promoter of the stock. You know what I'm saying? They, they're really good at telling stories, but you know, the, the, it's, it's not connecting in the real world. So that's certainly what you want to look out for. Also, um, you know, how if the company has a good cash reserve, maybe, you know, there's a lot of things you could look at, like um, this more, this company that I don't even view as that speculative in a sense, like I think the underlying technology is worth a lot more in the enterprise value. Um, the problem is because they're not profitable yet, um, there's kind of a burn rate. So the real test, um, you know, try try to hold your investment ideas to some type of um accountability in terms of your expectations so if you expect them to get you know past you know burning cash in a year or two be careful about letting it be three or four years you know what i mean like and and really the best way to do that in my opinion is don't just focus on that one company look at all your opportunity costs at some point you might be like hey these guys maybe it's going to work i think this is a lot more of a sure thing it also has upside take my loss move on you know so by having a lot of ideas kind of in the in the in the mix, you, you don't get stuck worrying about one idea. That's to me actually one of the most toxic um, investor things you can do is get in that space where one one idea is going wrong and you get rattled. And I really try to avoid that. Absolutely. 
So, you know, what, what, what would you say has been an investing experience in microcaps that really changed your career the most and whether it got you even more hooked or also maybe caused you to rethink things, you know, what, what's an experience that really changed you? I think, I think the uh, first big success, uh, one of the first big successes I had was noticing um, the, the takeoff of the LaCroix brand um, with national beverage. Um, so when I first started, uh, when I first started writing about it and, and, and invested in it, um, it was a very cheap small beverage company. I, if I recall, it was trading for less than 1.5 times sales. Um, you know, I think it actually got on my radar pretty simply. I was doing, um, I was doing screens for, for cheap small stocks. And I also was uh, noticing what my wife was drinking at the store. And I suddenly was like, wow, this is weird. I'm seeing like I go to the Whole Foods. Uh, I used to live in Chicago. The Whole Foods uh, in, in the kind of nice area of Chicago, really nice Whole Foods. All the uh, what I call them as yoga pants moms. Um, so they're all they're all like loading tons of Lacroix into their uh, cartons and in the food court. They all so many of them are drinking Lacroix. I kind of made the connection with. Um, this cheap stock I was looking at, I was like, this is wild. Like this really cheap company has a brand that's really taking off. So I got really into that one. And that was a stock that had a tremendous um, advance um, over the course of the time I followed it. Um, so that was, that was one that really got me interested and, and got, got me seeing the power of um, kind of looking at companies off the beaten court path without any um, research Another one that's kind of a, a curious stock that uh, is quite funny and in a way kind of funny is um, this little trust called Masabi Trust. Um, it's not really even a company. It's just an oil royalty. But um, this is a security I've made quite a bit of money on over the years and uh, for my investors, but also largely for myself. Um, and uh, it just has a lot of factors to it that um, – I'll tell you a funny thing that happened with it years ago is that Cliffs, Cleveland Cliffs, it pays a royalty on iron ore properties um, and Cleveland Cliffs has to pay them money based on this royalty. Cleveland Cliffs changed the timing of when they sent the royalty agreement. So essentially what it allowed you to do, people who noticed this, you could predict what the next distributions would be in advance. You know if they're going to cut, you know if they're going to raise. That sounds ridiculous, but... One thing you know, if you want to follow microcap stocks and have a, if you're not that big of an investor and want to have an interesting little niche to look for, changes in distributions can be massive for whole types of undercover microcaps. And and the market price tends to react really crazily to them sometimes, both positive and negative. It's just one of those things. It's it's in all kinds of small yield securities. It's it's in BDCs. But so so this was just a case where People who noticed realized you could anticipate the distribution changes, you know, three or four months in advance. So that sounds really dumb. Like, wait, this is this is so dumb. It shouldn't be work. Well, that little observation was very profitable. Um, it doesn't really work anymore because of some changes that have occurred since then. But that that was kind of that was another case where I kind of discovered the power of just paying attention to little stocks no one cares about. Um you actually find weird profit opportunities. Now, you're not going to find that every day, but you do find them, you know, if you're looking at stuff other people aren't. So those, those are two kind of pretty good examples, I think. Very cool. All right. Well, I mean, we're, we're pretty much there. You know, you 
gave us, you know, your philosophy, how you're looking at the I know, man. Hopefully I got some good material in there. Oh, you got some great stuff, man. Listen, I I learned more about Nathan's uh, hot dogs as a business than I ever thought I would. I thought I was just going to continue to eat the hot dogs. I, I mean... You know, but uh, and of course, you know, everything that you to say, especially, you know, for those who are kind of new to looking at micro cap stocks. I mean, let's let's get that closing closing thoughts there, you know, for, sure. you know, for those that may be new to micro caps or, or finding this interview, you know, maybe months down the road or just getting their start. You know, what is what yeah. would you say is that full picture look of how folks should really think about micro caps? I think develop your personal interests. Like if you if something I say appeals to you, like dive into that, have fun with that. If you're interested in some different kind of stock I didn't mention, learn what makes that industry tick. Learn learn what the factors are. I think really there's a ton of room for creative analysis and thinking in micro caps. I think uh, my way I think works very well, and that's why I do it. But I also do it because it just it's fun for me, and I think I think having that element of enjoyment is going to make this microcap investing 10 times more uh, rewarding. And you're going to, it does, it's not like you have to suffer to do well. You actually do what makes sense and uh, develop your talents in a way that um, makes sense in this field. And I will say um, the great thing with this thing is you can, you can find opportunities no one else is looking at. You can, call up a phone to do an IR call and the CEO gets on, not, not some stuff shirt, but the guy that founded the company. That's cool. Um, so it's a great field and I love it. And I didn't even get to the stock I thought we'd talk about, but uh, that's okay. Maybe some, maybe sometime in the future, who knows? I mean, but, if you, uh, if you want to take uh, five minutes to close out on uh, on an idea that you think folks should look at, yeah, go, come sure, on, man, sure. close this it is, out. This is, this is one of the smaller um, wackier and and I don't find it that risky, but simply because the market cap is low, I put the disclaimer. I do own shares, and it is very volatile. So nobody should just dive in or, or be crazy based on anything I say. Obviously, do your own research. But a really interesting turnaround situation in a teeny stock is um, Rave Restaurant Group. Okay, they own the primary brand that I really focus on with them is uh, Pizza Inn. It's a Southeast chain of pizza restaurants that was horrendously mismanaged for years. Uh, management kept trying to try new concepts and kind of ignoring the core business. Um, but effectively, they have a new CEO in there who's a um, former Domino's pizza executive. He actually did advertisements when Domino's was turning around. He's actually in some of their early advertisements during that turnaround process. He's a really dynamic guy. I think he really understands pizzas. Um, the company is very well capitalized. It has $7 million in cash for a $23 million market cap. They've been profitable for 10 quarters. Um, this last quarter, they had 38% operating income growth. Um, and it's a little early in their turnaround and development to focus too much on you know, um, EPS growth and stuff like this. But really, I'm looking at sales, sales um, same-source sales growth because uh, – and the first time in a long time they've innovated with new products. They have you can go go and read the press releases, but he's really big on crust innovation, which sounds funny, but like that's what gets people into pizza restaurants. It's a simple family restaurant concept. Um, the real thing that could cause this to be a massive success, and 
I'm not saying this will happen. I mean, I'm watching and seeing how it goes as well, is they have a new store model um, that they're going to be launching in North Carolina. I'm probably going to travel down and see it after it opens. Um, but the essential thing is, is it's a franchise. So if this store model does work, um, they're going to be able to roll it out in a capital light way. They're fixed cat. I mean, they're a low investment way with franchisee partners. Um, their fixed costs are pretty low. So the incremental cash flow potential with this type of potential growth could be really huge. Now, if that works out really well, this could be a grand slam. If it's not so good, the business is cheap and profitable already. So um, I think it's trading right now below private market value without any growth. So we're getting that right now. Um, but there's this kind of optionality on if the CEO can refine this store model. It's very focused on store level economics. So he's really trying to get these stores, including the existing store base, profit, more profitable. Um, so the whole core to it is, is that the basic pizza in business, the store level business, if you look at a decently run unit, even though the chain has been massively mismanaged for years, the good pizza ends crank out tons of cash flow. So if they can replicate that with a kind of updated look and updated feel, um, it has a lot of potential, like a, a little market cap stock like that. As and, and, you know, we didn't talk about this, but the neat thing about market caps is they get more eyeballs on them. Naturally, there's multiple, multiple expansion. So you're not just kind of buying um, earnings that grow. You're buying earnings that get more and more valued if it works. Now, if it doesn't work, you know, there's a downside there, but uh, it looks compelling. So it, it's, it's a riskier play. And I wouldn't say uh, people should jump into it without doing their own analysis. And certainly for me, it's one of my smaller positions, like, first of all, because it's just too small. Second of all, you know, um, there's a lot of volatility in the stock. Um, you just got to be got to be aware of that. But it's a neat stock. I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. It's almost like there's a there's an enjoyment factor of just saying, hey, is this is this guy going to be able to really do this? So we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I don't think I've ever ended the pod on a pitch, but I think, uh, you know, we're we're kind of well, there. I, if anybody's interested, <laughs> so. um, I did do a pretty thorough write up on it on my site. Um, so so if anyone thinks that's interesting enough, they can. You know, I have one of my write-ups is on that. So, Very cool. All right. Well, Nat, uh, where can everybody go and find more information on you, follow you on social media, yeah. as well as yep. subscribe to your newsletter? Yeah. Um, uh, my Twitter is uh, NatStuart5. Uh, and, and my Substack site is stockpicking.substack. So stockpicking is just as if it's one word. So those two places, right? Very cool. I, that we, you know, I like stock picking dot Substack. I, people are going to think of stock picking as just micro caps now. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hopefully, we get the <laughs> get the traffic up even more. Yeah, but, uh, that's good. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate sure. it. Good yeah, luck. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Have a good one. Okay. Oh, cool. you too. Take All care. Right.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.